What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. Still the Thursday afternoon edition of this very podcast, and I'm joined by Sports Illustrated Sarah Kelly. You've probably read her on Twitter. She's a she's always online, as the kids say. Sarah, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I um I'm someone now at this point. I think there are two types of tweeters um is what i'm going to use to describe them where there's the ones that i will be on tweet deck or i'll be scrolling through my phone when i'm waiting for something and that like i just don't tweet really like the only time i tweet is for uh like if something i'm writing or the podcast anything like that like i just i can't i'm not a big tweeter anymore have been the case for a couple of years you sarah i see your tweets all the time and i'm always just uh, I'm, I'm amazed like uh, I, I don't know how <laughs> so you do it uh, it's, um, probably I should get a hobby. Um, mm. that's Twitter has just sort of become like kind of where I hang out. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, had a lot of different jobs and gone back and forth. And so, um, while I know a lot of people have used Twitter to maybe promote their work or, or kind of build a personal brand. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've had a lot of times where there was nothing to build and I'm just chilling and, uh, it, perhaps I should, uh, relax actually and do a little less of that so i've been trying to stay busy and not tweet every single thought um that comes into my brain but if we're being honest that's totally my impulse every single time but i think that's okay that's just your personality type like that's okay sarah this that's okay like that's just not who i am like i can't do it i i'm one of those people like i look at tweets as drunk dials where no matter Mm what uh a few hours later i'll look at something i just posited on Twitter and I'll just be like, Nope, not worth it. Delete. And I just, I hate it. I hate every tweet that I put out. That's not, um, not pr- self-promotion. I don't know what that says about me as a person, but that is something that I've noticed. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. I, I, I post a lot of cringe to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, and I do sometimes go back and I'm like, that's not funny. Like that's that joke like doesn't hit Bye, it's gone. <laughs> if nobody saw it, no one's ever saying it. Uh, or, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll, say too many serious things and be like, well, we in our industry need to such and such and just get like so tired of myself. Yeah. Um, that I have to like go in a different direction and be like, Hey guys, here's my dog. Uh, because I'm well, that's an easy one. That's a good one. You're lucky there. You're, it, it, you're lucky. It's yeah. You play the hits, right? Well, here's a bulldog. <laughs> here's another bulldog. Here's more what bulldog else are the hits? Stuff. We got the bulldog. We got, um, KU being awful as we'll get into, um, yes. journalism, <laughs> I think is part of your hits. I would say. Um, it, it is sometimes, uh, but again, that's where I sometimes get really serious and get on my own nerves. Um, my terrible dating life is also sometimes a hit. I had something you go viral, viral because right? I got, yes, yes. I got dumped is a strong word, but mm. like I'd gone out with somebody one time and, uh, they said they didn't really want to hang out again because they were vaccinated and they found someone else who was already vaccinated against COVID. Yeah. And, uh, you wanted to keep a circle small and he hit me with the in these trying times 
<laughs> and um, I guess that really uh, caught up with people, you know, that, that struck a chord with a lot of people uh, to the point that like screenshots of it were making it onto like Facebook. My mm-hmm. uncle was like, oh, my God, this is you. And I was like, cool, Uncle Brian. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. Um, Not now, Uncle Brian. Fun. Shut the fuck up. I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, and there had been some inside jokes about I keep mm. going out with these guys who wear sweatpants on the first date and things Wait, like that. Wait, is that a thing? Have you been on a date with the guy who wore sweatpants on the first date? Yeah, I mean, I, not really since COVID. Like, I haven't, you know, really been going out nearly as much. But um, for a while, there was like two or three different people in a row. And uh, to be fair, it's like... They're nice sweatpants. You know what I mean? Like the like the Nike Tech fleece. No, doesn't matter. Like that's unreal comfortability. <laughs> that's like um, yeah. No, that is that is not okay. That is not okay. Yeah, Couldn't do there it. there have been some debates about that about like whether you know like sneakers and and your good sweatpants, your hundred dollars sweatpants. Are no, good it took me months with my current girlfriend before like I was out here just being like, yeah, we'll go get pizza and I'll be in a hoodie and sweatpants. Like, yeah, I'll meet you for that. Like. No, like that you have to earn that level of comfortability with somebody, I think. Yeah, well, you know, none of those worked out. So maybe <laughs> you're on to something. Uh, maybe I need to, you know, raise my standards a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, you need to get up immediately. <laughs> Be like, hey, do you have a change of clothes? Because if not, uh, I will see you another night. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I should be a little more demanding. Um, I, I, I mean, like I've, I've been busy in February and March, so I haven't really... I haven't really met any anybody new recently, but well, you won't have to worry um, about this this summer because some... sweatpants season is right. wrapping up. And I don't have a problem with shorts on a first date. It's very hot in DC. It's gross. Mm. I'm trying to think if I've ever worn shorts on a first date. Um, I, I being from Atlanta and Atlanta summers, I'm gonna guess I have. I just don't recall. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. right. That humidity is killer, and and in DC you can't really you don't drive. Mm-hmm. So, like, however you got there, you either walked a few blocks or you walked a few blocks to get on the metro and then walked a few more blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you don't even have the benefit of air conditioning like you might in parts of Atlanta or, you know, Kansas City, where I'm from, where you at least have that to cool you off. Like, Well, see, like, I... Um, okay, so I didn't have AC in my car in college. So... Oh, I, no. Yeah, so the summer, like, I just had one arm that was always darker than the other, and it just looked insane mm-hmm. because I had my arm out the window all the time. But also, like, I just got so conditioned to not having AC that, like, now I, I'm so annoyed. Like, I'll immediately... I'll have wars with friends and my girlfriend right now because she, like, she's a windows-down person driving when the weather's good. And I'm like, no, I have... I live that life. I appreciate AC like so much. Like I am done with that part of my life. No windows <laughs> down. Can't do it. Yeah. Um, like I, I love aggressive air conditioning. I'm actually getting rid of my car next month. And I'm oh, nice. sad because that'll be like, I mean, it's a good thing. You know, I don't, I don't need it, but uh, I will miss like just sitting in my aggressive air conditioning in the summer and driving out to like Alexandria because that target is roomier and reminds me of home <laughs> and I can hang out in targets, aggressive air conditioning. Um, so that is a pastime that I will miss when I become like a, a real city person. And what is your best uh, target? I wasn't here to buy this, but I ended up buying this somehow story. Um, I do have a stuffed alligator, <laughs> um, like a stuffed animal. I was just having kind of a bad day mm-hmm. one day a few years ago. Um, and I forget if I had a reason to be at target or if I was at target specifically because of the bad day. Okay. 
uh, it's, I mean, hard to say, you know, like eh, they, they, they bleed into each other. Um, but I went and I bought, that? you know, some normal things, you know, toothpaste or, or something, milk, I don't know. Um, and then I'm just kind of wandering around and uh, I go through like the kids, um, like room decor section. And then there's this like little alligator and he's, I don't know. It's just like, I, t- you know, like back when you used to just touch everything in the store, yeah. I touched it and it you know, I was like soothing in a weird way. And so I just, and it was like $10. So I just bought this alligator and I called it my comfort gator. And then a few years later I was watching, I think it was, um, what show was it? Crazy ex-girlfriend. And there's like one episode where, uh, Rebecca is the main character is just holding my comfort gator. (laughs) From Target. I was like, I wanted to call props and be like, that's my comfort gator. That is like a little bit, you know, a little too true to life. The main mm-hmm. character, you know, struggles with, with mental health. And I don't remember what the gator was doing doing there, but I remember they named her um, Ruth Gator Ginsburg, which is pretty <laughs> cute. And uh, I don't know. It was just like, I, I felt like that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio, like pointing at the screen. Like, Th- that's I awesome. have that comfort gator. I like it. Which um, naturally brings us, yeah. Sarah, to Kansas. The University of Kansas or yes, Kansas University. Absolutely. It's Kansas University, right? It's can it's KU. Well, it, so it's the University of Kansas, but it's KU. But if you're the Lawrence Journal World, which uh-huh. is the local paper there, their style is to say Kansas University, and it drives me nuts. Actually, it really because <laughs> it, it, it's not. But but it's you not UK because when you hear UK, you, you it's Kentucky. You like UK Kentucky. is Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But it's the same way with like Missouri. University of Missouri is still MU. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, who calls it MU? It's others. just Mizzou. Missouri is just Mizzou at this point. They should just call themselves. Mizzou. Well, yeah, I think in the sports world, yeah. But I, I, when you're right, when you're writing a little bit more about academics or the institution, MU comes up a lot. Or um, there are a few other examples. University of Oklahoma is OU. Yeah. Um, it is. There weird are a few of them works. like that. Yeah, um, yeah UT I mean, actually you, you has this because be like Texas that. is UT and Tennessee, where I'm in grad school right now, we're UT. But some people say UTK, and that drives me nuts. Like UTK, I don't really understand. Yeah, I don't like that. No. I, don't, I really don't like when they put, just like UT Austin bothers me, like mm-hmm. it's when it's a flagship. And I think that's a sports thing. It actually makes a lot of sense from an academic perspective to specify. Yeah, because there are but like 19 from a sports, different like, UTs. It's, yeah, and also A&M has an enormous system that's completely separate from UT. And as a whole, yeah, and I'm sure that Tennessee's system there's is Tennessee also kind Martin, of big. There's Tennessee Martin. There's Tennessee. There's um, right. I could just go up and down the list of all the different uh, born. Yeah, there's names. a whole bunch of them it, in any state with like any serious population. Like KU really only has KU and then like an Edwards campus in mm. the Kansas City suburbs. But other places, or like there's K State Salina, which is really where you go to be a pilot. That's basically all they do. Interesting. Um, yeah, but but like yeah, states with like a, a, a real population have those huge systems. It doesn't make sense to specify like the original big one sports wise. Why you would say it's in Austin or in Knoxville? Because it's yeah, which is why I like Tennessee and Texas. Um, but I, I did grow up saying just KU. Like that's just kind of the nomenclature in Lawrence, the shorthand when you're talking to a person. Um, being a Kansas fan right now, how difficult is it, Sarah? You know, it's not great. Um, I'm glad that I have my like five backup schools mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> because, um, it, you know, the losing has been hard <laughs> for a decade, especially. Um, and, and then to see some of the administrative things happening and, 
you know, the, the less miles situation and, and a lot of mishandling like that uh, is just kind of really hurtful for, I think, other people who've dedicated our lives to caring about this university and caring about this athletic program. Um, and we kind of felt like, like the old AD didn't really do right by us. And, and also, you know, very concerned that they put students on our campus in danger. Like that's, that's obviously not okay. Um, so that's just really kind of, that's made it all a lot more negative and a lot harder to be hopeful. And it doesn't help that the basketball team is by Kansas standards is bad. I understand that they're actually very good, like compared to, to compared to other schools, but, um, we sort of expect a final four every year and we're not getting one. So that's, it's not the best time to be a Kansas fan. Um, but it's what I am. So, um, I was, I was raised in Lawrence and mm-hmm. I went to KU and my, my first year, my sophomore year, I I'd transferred, but my first year there was the orange bowl year and the national title year. Mm. Um, so I, and a lot of people who are exactly my age or right around my age, um, are, are really going through it right now because we've, seen the highs um we were there for some of the high points of this this athletic program and so to see where it is right now is really tough because it's it's bad it's really ugly it's unfathomably ugly and friends of the pod the solid verbal had this tweet of like we should just assume that kansas is just going to be kansas until proven otherwise because we just have decades and decades of of us just telling us like no they're not going to get this right they're not going to get the next ad right they're not going to get the next head coach right and i'm like man this is brutal and i i don't know when you have the solid verbal it's just a very cheery positive college football podcast just being like nope ku is going to get it wrong and i'm just like man is there any hope for this football program? And I'm just like, hey, there's Stephen Godfrey on Split Zone Zuo, who is a big triple option advocate, and it's just like, just go hire Jeff Monken. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I I can't put that on you, Sarah. Like, I hate watching the triple option. I, I, I very much vehemently hate watching the triple option. Uh, growing up in Atlanta and watching a lot of Georgia Tech in my life, I, I hated it. Right. Like, I, I really, really do. I understand its value. I understand, like how it would work in the big 12 because of the way big 12 plays that this would actually make a lot of sense for them. But I'm just like, no, don't want to watch it. Don't want to watch a good or a four and eight Kansas team with Monk and run the triple option against Texas in important moments. I, I don't want to watch it. I, I have no interest that that's going to drive me nuts. It, it really will. Where are Thought you I at? would kill for a four and eight Kansas team. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I've been saying for a while, like all I really want is like, to come close to being bowl eligible. Well, that's the triple years. option. The like triple really, option will do that. Yes. Like I like in that. That's so I, I don't find the triple option to be like super objectionable. Um, and it seems like a good way to get around the fact that there's going to be a real dearth of talent um, in KU's football program, probably for a long time, unless we start, I don't know, paying recruits, um, <laughs> which I cannot officially endorse. Cause I think I might have, given some money to the Williams fund once I might technically be a booster. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I'm, that's how I'm referring uh, to you on the episode title booster. KU booster. Sarah <laughs> Kelly booster. Yeah. I might have given them $15 or something once. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> oh. Hey, lavender. Uh, I'm assuming that's lavender. Yeah, that was lavender. Did the mic pick that up? Yes, Sorry it did. About that. If I moved the wrong, I was like, I went to a whole different room so that I could sound like a professional with mm-hmm. my life together. Um, but I guess now everybody works from home, so it's we we not all do. Just me. Yeah, that just was the, lavender. The new way. 
it adds character to the podcast. We have we have friends. Yeah. Like you have Minnie Kimes who literally has her dog's name in the title. Like this is just part of the program now. Right. Yeah. This is Lenny. Lenny's great. Lavender is not as well behaved as Lenny. Okay. Um, and she really gets stressed out when I'm on the phone for some reason. Interesting. Because um, she hears you talking and you're Lavender. not talking to her. And she's very she's very jealous that um, you're not directing maybe, your attention to her at all it. times. Maybe she just doesn't want to talk about Kansas football, but that's what I'm here to do. Well, hold on. Um, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. She it, knows. She has a point. She has a point. <laughs> she has a point. But she's from like Amish country in Pennsylvania, so I don't really know what she thinks about sports. Is she really? Um, yeah, she she was a, like a mama dog at a breeder um, until they got sick of her and dumped her at a shelter. And then I went and picked her up. So it's this town called Waynesboro. Um, like near where the Battle of Antietam happened, mm. like just across the Maryland border into Pennsylvania. Um, and so I just went and took her home, and she's been a pain in the ass ever since. But, but you we're wouldn't very have happy it any You wouldn't have it any other way. I would not, no. Yeah, so hopefully she'll keep her mouth shut, and if not, I'll have to change rooms again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see where she's coming from. So are you uh, excited it, about the next head coach, A.D.? Might be Danny Manning, I'm, Dick Vitale, openly I'm, campaigning for Danny Manning, and then you have the guy whose name I cannot believe is real. Like I, he played linebacker at KU. He's invested. I forgot his name. What his name pops up everywhere right now. Who am um, I thinking of? Eighty search. It's something like. It's an insane name. Hold on, I gotta pull this up. It's it's a crazy. Is name. it Missy Convoy? No. What is that's this a weird name, name too? Um. You can. I'm going to look this up because it's a crazy name. And he played linebacker during Mancino's time there. What is his name? Oh, so it's a name I might recognize. He. This is great at podcasting. I had this in front of me. Where did I know? Right? We're just literally like on our laptops. Yeah, Banks um, Floodman. That's it. Banks Floodman. Banks Floodman. I do remember that name. I don't really remember much about him. So he had, uh, he's now the Sunflower Development Group Director of Business Development. Um, that seems like an important title. Uh, I'm going to guess. He's uh, he's linebacker three-year captain, four-year letterman winner for KU while playing under Mark Mangino from 02 to 05. After graduating, the Wichita native worked 10 years for KU Athletics, serving as the associate AD for development before leading the Williams Fund as senior associate AD for revenue development. So this is the dude who's just like, if you want to right the ship uh, economically, you bring this guy in. This dude's going to raise some dollars, essentially. And that's why it's so funny that his name is Banks Floodman. Like, that's such like, a made-up <laughs> banker name. That's incredible. Yes. Uh, you know, based on what you just told me, that might be a good answer. Like, I, you know, we'd need to look a little deeper into if this guy's for real or has just failed upwards, because I don't, I don't know. Um, but if he's if he's for real, that might be good because I think you can turn these programs around with the right amount of money. And mm. that's what Kansas is currently, uh, you know, hemorrhaging with what we're paying coaches, you know, all the buyout money we're spending and uh, probably all of the money that we're, we're losing from not really having tickets to the tournament and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think any amount of money and a couple of good decisions can make most programs fixable. If you look at, I'm really jealous of what Iowa State has done. Or, you know, I remember when Baylor was a guaranteed win, at, for even for Kansas. Uh, if you look at what, what Northwestern has done, uh, even Central Florida, Kansas and, and UCF went winless in the same season a few years ago, and then from there had vastly different trajectories. 
Um, and one of them, you know, sort of almost won a fake national title. And one of them, I think, was I think Kansas was maybe a one or two win team that year. Um, so cash cash will do it. Cash will bring you recruits. It'll bring you Kansas needs some facility upgrades. The right coach is not cheap, but if you get the right coach, which we haven't done in a long time, I say we like I had anything to do with it. You are a booster. Um, <laughs> I might be a booster. I I'm not I'm not uh, maybe I don't know. There are some journalistic know. integrity might, questions that I was not expecting to wrestle with on this podcast, pot- Sarah. Potentially, I don't know, like seven Williams fun points. I'm not really sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't haven't really lived in Lawrence. Um, in a long time, so I haven't really like I can't go to the games very often, so I, I don't really stack up those points, and I also don't make that kind of money, so um, probably not really a booster, just an alumna. But um, yeah, it, it I think an influx of money is is kind of where we need to go with that, and then make smart choices with the money, which is what makes me nervous. Uh, I don't at this point I don't trust anybody working at KU Athletics to make any good choices about hiring about any of it. And so I I guess I would describe myself as cautiously optimistic because this is an opportunity to right the ship, but I haven't seen much of an indication as an outsider. I don't know anything that you don't know. Um, I haven't seen any indication that the people in charge are capable of writing the ship with any amount of resources. And that's what kind of scares me. Um, but the standard's not that high. Like, if, if you can bring in somebody who will will get us to, you know, five and six wins most seasons, we'll shut up and be happy. Like, it, it's it's not that hard of a fan base to please. And I think maybe that's what's been so frustrating is that we can't get even a halfway watchable product after a decade of trying. Yeah, it's – I don't know – I don't even know what I would do. I'd probably hire Banks Floodman just to get the guy in there who at least can handle the finances and fix that um, and raise some money and keep the boosters happy. And also just probably like hire um, Willie Fritz, big Willie Fritz guy, T-Lane. Just hire somebody who can, you know, win you some games. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. The Illinois associate head coach seems like the the favorite if they go with Banks Floodman. It's funny how they already just like, if this AD gets hired, they're going this way. If this AD gets hired, they're going that way. If this AD gets hired, like, it's amazing how college sports works. And now it's just like a package deal for a lot of programs with ADs um, in terms of the football and basketball, or football and AD program. Um, basketball, are you at least excited about Kansas basketball this year? Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> Uh, um, so I don't know if you know, like a lot of Kansas fans, but we are, um, we're very stressed out about our basketball program most of the time, uh, which is weird since like, it's a, a very successful program, but like earlier today, a friend sent me a link and it was like a list of, um, I think maybe like all time tournament wins or something of maybe active coaches. I think it was something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is so depressing. And I looked and Bill Self is 10th on the list. And to us, that's depressing. Um, <laughs> you know, to other people, it'd be like, wow, I wish I had the 10th best, you know, most successful coach in, in the tournament. But that's not really good enough for us uh, as a really messed up group of people that Kansas basketball fans are. So I am excited just because, like, I love the tournament and I love to see what happens. Um, but I'm really stressed about my bracket because I don't 
I guess the way that all of us feel is that Kansas could be any team on any day. And the guessing is really at will Kansas show up that day? Or will you see like bad Kansas, the other Kansas? Um, and, and so that always, we, we bring it on ourselves. Absolutely. But uh, I'm a little less excited than I am most years and still pretty excited to be honest. Okay. I am. Um, have you, have you finished the, your bracket yet? I know you were agonizing over some picks. Um, I just, I finished it. Yeah. Like an hour ago. Um, I don't feel good about any of my choices. <laughs> can I, can um, I say maybe... I am not someone Sarah who enjoys making predictions. I, I very much hate it. It takes away the enjoyment a little bit for me when I'm like, why totally agree. Like why the fuck do I give a shit if Xavier wins this basketball game? I don't want to like have like a rooting interest in this stuff. Like I want to be able to just drop my notes down, enjoy the game for what it is. But like the idea that I have this feeling where I just want team X that I've never once cared about in my entire life to win a basketball game because I just arbitrarily selected them to advance in this tournament is not something I get enjoyment out of. It seems like everybody else does, but that is not how my brain works at all. No, I, and I usually most years will like fill out my brackets and then not even really look at them ever again. Um, unless I'm in contention to like win the office pool or something. And I have won two office pools, which is exciting. Mm. And I did that both times by picking Kansas to go way further than they actually went. Um, because I was, I was living in Wichita both years. And so everyone else like basically picked Wichita state or, you know, whoever was the favorite. And both the times, like they got knocked out earlier than expected or something. So like I was at the bottom of the, the rankings through like the whole tournament. And all of a sudden in the last weekend, I like, because I had Kansas in my final four and like everybody in their final four had been knocked out or something. I'm not even sure. Um, so just by them, like, you know, making wise choices that didn't pan out, my terrible choices actually have led me to victory more than once. Um, but it's not, yeah, I don't know. I don't love to be predicting it. I sort of like to be right. Um, but it's more fun for me to cheer for who I think is a, a fun team and not really analyze, you know, who's got a better defense or, you know, if they can keep up with the pace and, mm. and, and who has more links and things like that. Um, because sometimes the team I don't like is more likely to win and that's not fun for me. So I'll create, I traditionally have always done two brackets, which is like a head bracket and a heart bracket. <laughs> okay. And so every single year, Kansas wins the heart bracket. Um, and in 2008, that that was correct. And in 2012, that was really close to correct. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in other years, it's been very silly and wrong. But then I'll do a head bracket that is a little bit more about what I think is going to happen. But that's still mostly based on vibes. I don't look up like stats. I don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking about matchups. Um, if I don't know anything about a team, just kind of wing it. <laughs> or I'm probably influenced by like the one thing that I heard Jay Billis or somebody say one time about a team. Um, and that suits me just fine. Cause I don't have any real money on this and I don't really care, but it's a lot more fun for me to just root for the team. That's more fun or more exciting, or maybe the school that I like or the, the storyline that I think is more fun. I think that's the, the beauty of the tournament. Yeah. And also I just like really hate Baylor a lot. So, <laughs> and I've never been a huge fan of Gonzaga there. So, um, I will There's say not to uh, throw my Uncle Dave under the bus here, but um, we have a group texting thread, which I hate group chats. I hate texting in general, but 
they were talking about the tournament this week and my uh, like he said quote don't like Gonzaga they're over I think they're overrated okay there is no way they are in hell there's no way in hell this dude has enough information and has watched an entire full Gonzaga game to have this opinion like it's just why do you have an opinion <laughs> on this why in the world do you think like this opinion has any validity whatsoever you've watched exactly zero Gonzaga I know you've watched zero Gonzaga you know what's okay being like I don't know pretty impressive they're undefeated I, I don't really know what to make of Jaden Suggs from stuff that I watch highlights he seems pretty good lottery guy um, they have a really good sharpshooter but um, overrated is unreal to me or just people who have strong takes on stuff where I'm like no I have strong takes on basketball I have strong takes on my Atlanta teams I have strong takes on Tennessee I guess but like it's more because like I am comfortable in my familiarity with them and I spend so much time with them. I watch so much about them and I read so much where I'm like, I, can't, I feel comfortable having an opinion. I, I think that is the biggest reason I hate Twitter is that people have opinions on things that their lives don't need opinions on. Like I, my mom will get so annoyed sometimes because my mom, I love her to death. She is my favorite person in the world. She is my screensaver. My mother <laughs> has opinions on things where I'm like, mom, when have you once read about that? Why do you have a take on this? Why do you have a take? You don't need a take. Everyone thinks they need a take. And I'm like, I know you haven't read it. Why do you have a take on this? And she's like, well, I just think this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Why do you have a take on this, mom? We got to get to the bottom of this. Why do you have a take? Why do you have a... And she's like, well, people are talking about it. And I'm like, mom, you've read zero about it. Like, you you don't know anything. It's okay to just be like, I don't know. I'll have to read up on it. It's okay to say, I'll have to read on it before I come to a conclusion. My father, I am a pre, like a professional journalist, Sarah. Hashtag professional journalist. <laughs> and my father, I have my undergrad in journalism. I'm getting my master's in strategic and digital communications. He wrote a letter to an author on a website for an article he skimmed and only read the first paragraph complaining about it oh my he, goodness he's that guy yes <laughs> it sent me in a tailspin <laughs> like, for a full day i couldn't believe it it takes longer to send an email than it does to read an article usually oh my god like, <laughs> let me be clear i, I, never, I love I all my family love you mom love you dad ever love you a lot but <laughs> good god yeah yeah, my my mom uh, watches a lot of uh, TV news. She watches MSNBC a lot mm. and a little CNN. And um, when she found out that Jake Tapper randomly followed me on Twitter, <laughs> she thinks that now like I'm friends with Jake Tapper. Mm. I can't tell. I I honestly can't tell if she's joking or not. It might be a bit. Um, <laughs> but every now and then she'll text me and be like, "Tell your friend Jake what I like his new glasses or something." Um, for Christmas, I, I went and got her like Jake's autograph. You can just DM him and he'll like connect you to his people. And at no point did I actually have a conversation with Jake Tapper. Uh, an um, autograph? And anybody, Will he really do they, that? He's yeah. doing autographs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I, I slid in his DMs and I was like, hey, you know, I think it'd be a cool Christmas gift for my mom. She's a big fan. You know, can you make that happen? Or can you like do you have people that handle that or something? And, and he said, email me at his like official email address. And I did. And, um, somebody who's definitely not Jake Tapper answered. I forget who, but like they gave, like they gave me their real name. Like it was definitely an assistant, not, not somebody pretending to be Jake Tapper, but somebody openly uh, answering his email for him. And yeah, they just sent it directly to her house and she was so excited. But now she thinks that I like know Jake Tapper, a person I've never met or even spoken to who could have followed me by accident or, you know, just, I don't know. He follows thousands of people. Who knows? Um, but 
she she really and she'll just like tell me what she thinks about what Jake's up to, about what Rachel Maddow is up to. Um, when things were going down in D.C., she was very like she couldn't yell at me to get out of danger. So she would yell at the reporters on TV um, like Caitlin Collins is around my age. And so she would just yell at the TV and say, Caitlin, you get your butt back in the house. <laughs> um, and, you know, Caitlin's also a grown woman doing her job. Uh, but it just, you know, my mom just didn't think that it was safe to be out there by the, the Capitol with um, the uprising. And it wasn't safe, but that's her job is to be out there. So, um, which naturally maybe I need to have to, my brother uh, go and disconnect her TV. And this naturally <laughs> brings us to our last um, question. Yeah. Sarah, which is what is the tailgate experience for Kansas football? I've always been curious about a program where, Seamless you know, every transition. Saturday is going to be terrible. So, you know, you're going to lose. So like you go into every Saturday, you're not like, well, maybe no, 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 no. You're going in like, this is awful. How do you, how, how is it? Is it fun? Well, when I was a youth, Mm-hmm. Kansas was pretty good at football. That's true. And so you so, were there the, um, when they were number two in the Mizzou game. You were there for that year. Yes. Yes. That was the year. And then the year after they were like, okay. And then I think my last year was a little rough, um, like lost to a bad team in the opener. But then the second game we beat Georgia tech. So then we rushed the field, which was embarrassing. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it was super embarrassing. And then it just got worse from there. Um, yeah, so but there were a couple of, of really good years there. You know, when Aqib Tlaib was there and and all of these, you know, Chris Harris Jr., people who are still in the league. I guess Aqib, he retired this year. Um, so in that incredible case, it was really fun and everyone knew. What? Uh, he's incredible on commentary. Like, Aqib Tlaib should be doing yeah, more football. Yeah, he's- He's so great. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he does um, and listen to him more because I just think he's really fun and he's different in the best way. Uh, and there's so many people who are doing commentary who sound exactly the same and you really can't even tell them apart. And so I, I love, like, Akib's style. Um, I can't, so, yeah, I can't wait to see what else he does with commentary. But at the time, you know, it, everyone knew, like, every Saturday was for football and that's how we blocked out our, our weekends. And... Uh, you know, and it was fun. And, and, you know, the stadium is at the bottom of a really big hill. So if you're kind of big time, you'll get like a tent set up on the hill. That's mm. like the expensive part. Um, and just everyone's really friendly. And we're all a lot of times it's mornings. We had all those 11 a.m. kicks. And so it would be, you know, breakfast and brunch. And the, and the cool thing to do when you're a student is, is to rent a house near the stadium and have all your friends over um, or be one of those people who's at somebody else's house. Mm. Uh, you know, and it was just so much fun. And I, I wouldn't, I would not say that it really compares to like SEC tailgating or something like that. Um, I, I, won't, I won't overpromise, but it's like a genuinely good time when there is just any chance that we might win because people, uh, you know, like Lawrence is a great place to be. Um, people love the school. It, Kansas City's not far off, so it's real easy to just come into town if you're from there. But it's it's definitely changed in the last decade. Um, I, I've maybe tailgated once or twice. Uh, since like in the last five years and it's still okay. You know, people are just there to, to hang out. Um, people who have tickets are primarily uh, kind of big time boosters or medium time boosters who have season tickets mostly to get their Williams fund points toward basketball tickets. That's kind of how it works. Um, so they just, they just pay for the tickets and sometimes they come out and tailgate and sometimes they don't. 
tickets themselves are really easy to come by. I'll have, you know, like a friend's dad will come by and just start handing them out at the tailgate. He's got like five or six or eight in his hand and doesn't really care who takes them. You go in, you might leave, might come back. Um, I learned when I was a student that the non-students get to leave at halftime and go drink and then come back into the stadium. Oh, interesting. Which I was always, yeah, which the students are not allowed to do. If the students leave, they can't, they can't come back. Um, but uh, season ticket holders or, or whatever, you know, like general admission people um, can just take halftime off and go back to their little spot and, you know, play around a beer pong or whatever they do and then go right back to their spot. Uh, so, so, you know, there's a lot of potential for it to be really fun, but it, it, it definitely is just, it's very low key these days. Um, the traffic's not as, you know, like much of a headache like it used to be. Um, it, it's just kind of people relaxing and a lot of the tailgaters don't actually go into the game or um, don't stay very long. I think I stayed for about half of the third quarter, one of the times that I was in there. And things looked good for a minute, and then they looked really bad, and so we left to go get more beer. Uh, and those and those tickets were free, <laughs> um, because somebody's dad has season tickets that he also wasn't going to use. Because why would you? Uh, so it's a little rough, but it also reminds me of my childhood when Kansas was also not good at football, and so we would just get free tickets, and I'd just like sit up there in the bleachers and talk to my friends and not even really watch the game. It's it's not great, but it's maybe not as depressing as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe what people don't realize is that if you put an even passable product on that field, people show up. Like when I was in college, you had to get to the game. Like you had to be at the stadium two hours before the game, which is when they'll let you in to go mm. get your spot. Because the, the student section is like first come, you know, first serve or whatever. So you go and if you wanted a decent seat, you'd be there for two hours before kickoff. And even now those front, several rows of seats in the student section are all messed up from people standing on them and being excited every, every week. Um, like they, they move in a way that the, the back seats, the cheap seats don't. Um, there's a lot of potential in this program because there's not that many more things to do in Lawrence. It's a, it's a great town, but, but everything to do there is really focused on the university way. Um, and we'll show up and we'll be happy with, you know, four, five, six wins. And, and um, I don't know, like there aren't that many fan bases that are so easy to please that should have access to so many resources. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a shame. I know a lot of the resources go toward basketball and that's part of it. It's a culture thing um, that the big donors donate their stuff to basketball. Um, like I said, people who have season tickets to the football program usually do that because it gets them better basketball seats. Like it's interesting. All of the really cool stuff. All of like a lot of the big money that at most schools would go toward football goes goes toward basketball. And that's just that's the culture. That's kind of part of our, our heritage. Um so we do things like buying the original rules of basketball that James Naismith wrote. And, you know, the Hall of Athletics is like all basketball and and so, you know, David Booth is like one of our biggest boosters. He's like a for real booster. He's not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff that he buys, there's a few things. He's definitely given some money toward football projects, but most of his stuff, you know, goes toward basketball because that's what he cares about. And that's what, what a lot of the fan base cares about. So it's a little bit of an uphill climb because of that, because it'll always kind of be our first love, but it also means that the, the standards for success in football are really not that high. Mm. And all we have to do is what all of the other schools have done, which is throw some money at it. And, 
maybe it's hard to thanks guys. We can do that. Right. Yeah. It's I mean that's all you do. You throw some money at Tennessee's it, doing that know, now. I, Danny White already gearing up to recalibrate the fundraising at uh, UT. It's all yeah. about get, getting I'm money. I'm excited for them, kind of. It's, it's Tennessee is a cursed school, unfortunately. Well, so. hold on. Hold on. Um, we were doing so well. This has been it, a great podcast. It's not your fault. Sarah. It's not your fault. I think Tennessee is neat. Mm-hmm. I think it, the checkerboard is cool. Rocky mm-hmm. Pass, great song. It's a bop. Absolute bop. It is I bop. I just feel like Tennessee is cursed, and that's, that's not anyone's fault. It might be someone's fault, but it's not your fault. It's just um, the expectations are not normal. Cool to be wrong. They'll never be normal at UT. The, right, just, the expectations at Tennessee are so high. And yes. then, it's yeah. almost like the winning the national title in 98 was the worst thing that ever happened in this program. Like that is, I think, potentially the worst thing. And having Peyton Manning for four years, I think, was also part of it too, where it's just like That's we had the generational tough. quarterback for four years, won a title in the late 90s, and they're like, see, we can do it. And it's like, well, college football's changed uh, in the last 30 years. And if you take away those two important seminal moments in the 90s, it's like the program is pretty average, pretty pedestrian. And um, it's okay. Tennessee and, does and not have. Playing ha- in the SEC doesn't make it any easier. Like, no, the, the standard Alabama in the SEC syndrome. is always just so much. And Jordan Higher, just becoming yeah. Alabama East does not help either. Um, but also just no, like I want all. Al- all I want is Alabama off the schedule every year. We don't need to do the third Saturday in October anymore. It's a waste of time. We're never winning. It's over. <laughs> Let's move on. Like it's just a guaranteed loss. There's no point. And also the path, and this is something I explain to Tennessee fans a lot, is like, okay, when you look at our schedule and you think about like if there's ever a path to Tennessee getting back into national title contention, do you understand that we would have to beat Bama, Georgia, Florida in the regular season? Because we are going to play those three every year in the regular season, no matter what. And then potentially have to play Bama again in the SEC title game and or just another SEC West juggernaut like an Auburn that year or an LSU. Beat them too. Then go play a playoff series where we then get Clemson and maybe another SEC team. What pat like what realm of possibility do you see Tennessee ever running the gauntlet like that? Ever. There is no path to that. Like, it's just not not a thing. And it's just, you're never no. going to be happy if that is what you want. Um, I mean, I'm pretty anti-playoff anyway. I think the college football playoffs is a disaster. And I think it's awful for the sport. And these games are awful. Um, and they're just bad. Like, I, I would get rid of it. I, I haven't enjoyed it, no. <laughs> no, no <laughs> one has. As, like, we all know. The system was flawed. I, I haven't really, yeah, I haven't really been having a good time with the playoffs. I loved bowl season. Bowl season's getting destroyed. And it, it sucks because college football is not about who wins national titles. It just never was. And that's not why. And I, I love bowl season so much. Like, I like to tell people that Kansas has won more BCS bowls <laughs> than Texas A&M. Like, that's still true. People forget. People forget. And, you know, people forget that Kansas beat Texas in football. I did not forget. That was a great day. That was a great day on Twitter. Never forget. That was an amazing day. That was, that was a good time. Sarah, what can um, we check I out from having you hope. this week? On, I'm sorry? What, oh. what can we check out from you? What would you like to plug as we wrap up here? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. Okay. Um, I'm not really working on anything. I'm a copy editor, so I'm, like, really behind the scenes. So mm. um, You can, you know, you it, you can tell us which wanna... ones you're copy editing. You can peel behind the curtain which one so that we can go and look to see uh, what uh, what went right and what did not. Uh, well, um, online, totally yeah, definitely take a look that. at all of our, our coverage of, of college uh, college basketball and all of that kind of stuff. But um, hitting uh, newsstands are available online soon. We just finished a Drew Brees, like, retrospective special edition in print. Um, that is pretty cool that we worked really hard on. Uh, so if you're a Saints fan or if you're a Drew Brees guy, 
um, definitely check that out. And I can't remember. I'm sorry. I should have looked up when the print issue hit stands because I really like what we're doing with our April. Well, I'll know because right it will uh, be in my mailbox. Yeah, it's so fun to get like the magazines like in the. It's yes. it's actually a good time. Highly recommend print magazines. I get SI obviously, and then um, Texas Monthly. Highly recommend. Also, Texas I highly recommend well. just subscribing. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to SI.com, go ahead and subscribe today. Yes, that's right. SI.com also did yeah recently launch an online subscription. Um, so if you want to read some of the some of the really good stuff that makes SI what it is, some of that incredible writing, um, the subscription online is is the way to go. Especially if you're not a paper person, which you should be, but you know, if you just love trees or whatever, that's fine too. No, just do it. It's great. I, I love that SI got uh, a revamp on the online. It's very easy to read. I love the layout, the fonts. I'm a big stickler for this stuff, Sarah. And I think Yeah, we've 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 been working really hard on like getting it, you know, back up where we want it and, and so I think there's some more cool stuff to come in the next couple of months. But we did, yeah, just recently launch a redesign and um, you know, some online subscription service. So I know there's like a great story about a bear hunting that I think is coming soon. Um, it was like the stuff that is in the print edition. Um, a lot of it will either be exclusive to the online and print subscribers, or it'll go to like, you can read it online. If you're a subscriber before it'll go like before regular people, non-subscribers can read it. So, and like I said, that's some of our best stuff, the really deeply reported stuff, the really cool, like narrative stuff. Um, had great stories on like, like, great NBA players who don't dunk. Um, I, it's just like such a joy to work for SI because every day my job is to just read these incredible stories by these incredible writers. Um, and so I always have these moments where I'm like, I cannot believe this is my life. Like they're paying me to read this thing that I probably would have read in my own time. That's awesome. That's a great way of wrapping up. Here, it is Sarah. so great. I'm, I'm happy for <laughs> it. You. Is this awesome. is great. It's been a year and I'm, I'm glad. And SI is lucky to have you. Um, well, thank you so much for the time, Sarah. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I will see you uh, from afar on Twitter.com, where I will not be tweeting and <laughs> yes. you'll be tweeting. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Hello, and welcome back to a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by Michelle Gardner. Michelle, good morning, your time. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am doing uh, pretty well, pretty well. Um, I imagine it's chilly, snowy still in uh, Arizona. Oh, no, it's wonderful. No, no. <laughs> oh, that's what I figured. Weather, I, I weather's been perfect here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, far from perfect here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I think the, the, the weather is just a little bit different day in, day out. Um, Michelle, what have, you, what have you found yourself reading and watching as of late? I like to ask my guests... Just kind of what they're reading and get a, get I like to learn new things on this front. So what are what are you reading? What are you watching? Reading and watching. Wow. Well, actually the one book that I've been reading for far too long okay. is the Michelle Obama mm. book bio. But I I don't get a chance to read for long periods at a time, so I'll read, I'll stop and I'll come back to it in a month and then, you know, that it's just I don't have a lot of time to just read something that's going to take that much time. But I, you know, I'm like most sports reporters. I'm on websites. I'm reading about college football teams. My team is playing. Um, a lot of background work. Same. Like I, I people are just. Uh, I shouldn't say amazed. Are just stunned 
that I it takes so much time to stay up on everything when you do a podcast that um, talks about just about every sport and every team and when you include college there's a lot of college football teams and there's a lot of stuff to to keep up with and the transfer portal doesn't make it necessarily easier and I just I like I have all my groupings I have uh, my my sh- Google Sheets that I use to like break it up by sport and all that kind of stuff and that takes me about six hours a day so I like read oh. Yeah, about six hours, and they're just like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" And I'm, and then I try and get at least an hour of a book in every night. But that, that usually, like you, it just, I wish I had more time. There's not enough time in the day. I tell people, I'm like, I just need like two extra hours. If I had two extra hours, I would really, really hit my sweet spot of like what I want to get done every single day. But I'm always like, I just feel like two hours short. Do you feel that way ever? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. If I don't sleep, I'm good. I can do other things. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, the book is good. I, I'm amazed that you're able to do that. Cause like if I take some time away a couple of weeks and I come back and I'm not entirely sure where I was or like where my headspace was when I was reading it, I can't, I, I'm just out. Like the book is just dead to me. Um, I have a very prominent bookshelf, Michelle, but I will admit me too. Uh, b- between you and me, this is, this stays between us, Michelle, but there may be like four or five books on this bookshelf that I got like 39 pages or 140 pages in and then for some kind of life event i got sidetracked and i've never gone back to him because i'll oh like i'll be like oh let me go and finish that then i'll look at it and i'm like no that book is dead to me it it's just over i can't get back in i don't want to start from the beginning and i don't know can't do it i won't reveal no, which books it I, is i actually have more than four or five i have more like 20 <laughs> okay <laughs> like Seriously, and I keep, you know, every now and then I'll see a book that I really want to read, and I'm, and I'm, and I'll, then I'll just stop and say to myself, "No, you haven't read the 400 books on your shelf that you have, you know, yes. that are still there, so you don't need to buy another book." But it's so delightful. There's not a better thing than going into your mailbox and just having a a new book just sitting there. Like I have a four dollar, like I I just utilize the the Amazon use section. Like I'll just go through it. I'm like, oh, I can get this for like three ninety nine, and the shipping's only like a dollar something. Oh done deal like i just got the greenberg and uh golic book from like 20 years ago for like four dollars on amazon i'm gonna be delighted when it comes in um am i gonna get through it in a day we'll see we'll see um I just, wait, I can't wait till it. the summer when you've got more time what what more time that's that's pregame for <laughs> nfl and college football like the summers that's are just true. like me uh and then brace baseball like there's too many games. Like I'm having to watch all these games. It, there's no break. There, there's no break. I know, Michelle. I, I don't know. Um, but you know, this is the life we chose. This is the life we chose. Um, we were talking before we got started, and I suspected this was the case, but you can confirm this: that Herm Edwards, the person to deal with uh, off the field, is as delightful as I may or may not have suspected, based on his just media career and just who he seems to be as a person and uh, just his natural energy and just there, there's a natural likability there um, with Herm. Uh, can you, can you shed some light on Herm Edwards, the person that you've dealt with thus far in Arizona state? Herm is phenomenal. I mean, there cannot be a more media friendly, personable coach on the planet than Herm Edwards, college, pro high school. I mean, the man is amazing. A uh, good example. So the first spring practice, and keep in mind, of course, there was no open practice availability last year. And Herm often complained that he hated Zoom. He wanted to see us. He said, I want to see all my reporter friends in front of me. I don't <laughs> like Zoom. I don't like a TV screen. He, he said that multiple times. So the four of us that were 
available and, and covering the first day of media uh, for the spring practice, we were sitting in a very, very remote corner set of bleachers. And Herm stopped what he was doing, came all the way across the field, welcomed us to spring practice, said it was great to have us, and said that tomorrow he would make sure that there was another set of the bleachers on the other end so that he could we could go back and forth and watch both the offense and the defense. Uh, and then there was another reporter who was supposed to be at practice the first day, and he could not be there because his daughter had COVID symptoms. Herm called the reporter and his daughter to make sure they were okay. Oh, wow. So Kurt, yeah. like Herm it, is, he, he walks and talks like he is not that like he, he says a lot, but he also backs it up. Oh, absolutely. You know, there've been times that I needed to get a hold of Herm and mm. you know, the sports information, I've got Herm's number. I could probably dial him up at any time, but I try to go through the right protocols. Let's dial him in. So when, I'm on Skype right yeah. now, Michelle, let's just get him in there. Let's, let's see. Let's, what, let's call Herm, see if he answers. <laughs> well, actually, what's what's today? Thursday? They don't. He's probably. You know, here's another thing about Herm that people that are not on this coast may not realize. Herm is at his office every day at five a.m. Mm-hmm. I watched a video on Works this. For- I wa- I forgot how I know that, but I, I'm pretty sure I watched a video on Herm and his morning routine. I think Arizona State may have published this when he first got started, like his morning routine. Yeah, yeah. he works out from five o'clock to six thirty or so every single day. So he works out from five to six thirty, and by seven o'clock he's showered, changed, and he's at his desk ready to go. And one of the old coaches that was here a couple of years ago had said, you know, the, the standing joke was. A lot of the assistant coaches would try and see if they could beat Herm to the office. Mm. Never happened. <laughs> never, never, never happened. But no, he is that personable when I've needed to speak with him. And I talk to the sports information director and he says, Herm's going to call you at 8 o'clock in the morning. Herm calls me at 8 o'clock in the morning. Not 8.01, not 7.59. It's 8 o'clock on the dock. Um, so no, Her- Herm is that great to deal with. Um even, you know, when he was battling COVID and the news had come out, I texted him just to say, hey, you know, you don't need to call me back. I just wanted to say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. I hope you and your family are well. And he texted me back right away and said, I'm good. You make sure you be safe. I mean, that's her. He 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 is what you think he is, as they say. I like that. I like that because he and Mac Brown, I think about these two a lot because the CEO coach was just like an something that made a lot of people a lot of folks nervous and it's something that it's hard to get excited and i imagine like arizona state fans were not overly optimistic about bringing in herm edwards um just the no. time he was away from coaching and um that whole ceo process of like mm, it all comes down to the kind of coordinators he hires and all that kind of stuff but um does it seem like the arizona state fan base has acquiesced and kind of turned of like oh this is actually going to work and this is uh something that seems like is uh sustainable even at i believe he's like 66 but uh a young 66 he's got that pete carroll 66 where it's like he is always going to be on the older side and people are gonna be like no that dude's 50 um what what do you think absolutely um you know there were a lot of skeptics when he was hired he's definitely changed the tune of that Mm -hmm. now there is a very small faction of maybe old school asu fans that like todd graham and thought well herm's not done anything different or better than herm than uh todd graham and you know i think that this year is going to be a turning point we can touch on that later but this is herm's fourth year so this is kind of really when you start seeing 
you know, the fruits of your labor when you're a coach, because, you know, as well as I, that when a coach comes in, it takes a couple of years. Yeah. You've got to change the culture. You want guys that you recruited. You want coaches that you brought in. So it takes a while. And, and another thing I was going to, going back to Herm, another thing about Herm, you find a lot of college coaches that are, I hate to call them uh, control mongers, but they need to have their finger on everything and their pulse on everything. And, you know, maybe they don't want their assistant coaches to talk. It's got to come through him, them. Uh, Herm makes all of his coaches available all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, after game uh, after a game on Saturday, we don't only get him and players. He makes both coordinators available to us. I know that's not done at a lot of colleges. Mm -hmm. um, his his tune on that is, hey. I'm training young coaches to be head coaches, and they need the experiences of dealing with the media and what it's like to be in that kind of role. So he absolutely makes, you know, all of his players are available. His coaches are available. It's not like he has to be the, mon you know, control monger that has to have his hand in everything. He's confident in the people that he's hired, and he'll delegate them to handle things. How was Marvin Lewis and uh, Antonio Pierce last year? The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot. With Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. Great. Uh, you know, Marvin is a little bit more old school, mm -hmm. whereas Antonio is a little bit more new school. And the thought here is that Antonio Pierce is the head coach in waiting. Um, I don't think that that's a surprise to anybody. He's turned down head coaching jobs other places, and he's turned down NFL rival. opportunities. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I, I think I don't think that was serious. I no. think that was just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was just kind of, yeah, you, you, you know, if they're interested, you're, you know, it's a compliment that they're interested in you and you feel it out and, you know, whatever. Maybe it's salary leverage, you know, type of thing mm -hmm. that KSC wants to keep them. But I don't think that that was a serious, serious thought. But the, the, the thought here is, and, and Herm's pretty much said so much, said that much that her, Antonio is the coach in waiting. When my guess is when Herm's contract is up, and I want to think that that's 2024. Uh, I think it's 2025, so but I, I think that, yeah. Oh, and again, he's young. He works out every day, so yeah. he, he can, he can carry it well. But uh, Antonio Pierce is the head coach at waiting. The only problem with Antonio is he's got, you know, it, until here he was working with the linebackers and he's the defensive coordinator and he's the associate head coach and he's the recruiting coordinator. So he's got a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes he, out of all the coaches on the coaching staff, is a little harder to pin down and track down just because he's got so much stuff going on. But, yeah, I, I definitely think that Antonio, he's kind of got the same charisma as Herm. And actually, one of the funniest things is, and again, this is media accessibility, um, with ASU on December signing date, they don't only make Herm available, 
They make Antonio available because uh-huh. he is the recruiting coordinator. They give us both the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and they give us their director of player personnel all on signing date. Hmm. And the funniest thing is to see them all up on the stage there at the podium where they where they give their press conferences, and they all start playing off each other, and it's hilarious. I mean, it's it's a good time because they're they're playing off each other, and they're just I mean they they have a good time. You can tell that that coaching staff has a good time. What do you what do you know about Zach Hill thus far? You know what Zach is Zach is good. He he he's a little bit more straight laced, but now when you throw him in the group with these other guys, he's kind of picking up their personality a little mm. bit too. Uh, and her, uh, uh, Zach is pretty much just, he's kind of molding in well with the rest of them. He, he kind of has the same work mentality that they all have. Um, he's media friendly, just like the rest of them are. So yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously this is a little bit of a smaller sample size, um, being that the team only played four games last year, and we kind of are still getting a, an inkling of what this offense is going to be. Interesting. Yeah, like the offense, um, J- Jalen Daniels is Jaden Daniels is just a really really fun player to watch, and it's unfortunate that we only got to see four games um, of the Sun Devils this past fall because <clears throat> I'm really interested to see what this group does because I think the Pac-12 is pretty open. ASU is kind of ascending, while a lot of teams are just question marks like the perennial powers like Washington. We'll still have to see what Jimmy Lake looks like. I mean, they got the five-star quarterback coming in there, same uh, Heward, and they'll probably right the ship, but. Um, a lot of programs are down. I mean, USC come back a little bit. Oregon, obviously, being the cream of the crop. But outside of that, the Pac-12 South really is, it just seems like, should come down to USC and Arizona State. And they obviously recruit in the same area. And I really want this to be a battle. I really want to see USC and Arizona State becoming a thing that uh, these two programs go back and forth. And I think they both have the kind of recruiting chops now with Pierce and Herm and Zach Hill with especially with his development his background at Boise um I I think there is real potential there that these two become the the top two programs in the south right Oh absolutely uh the first thing is that ASU returns 20 of 22 starters and on defense they return basically their their entire 2 deep on defense and that's pretty daunting uh as far as the recruiting and the rivals here's a fun thing ASU is now going into Florida and getting top players out of Florida yeah i mean who knew so you know they just signed a kid out of Hallandale Florida who ironically just to make myself old um they just signed this recruit out of Hallandale Alfonso Allen and uh, I actually covered his high school coach when I worked in Florida. So now I'm feeling very, very old. <laughs> but this is a kid that had 50 offers. And some of his offers were Alabama, Clemson, University of Miami. Like, so ASU basically went head-to-head with the cream, of the cream of the crop in college football, and they won. So ASU was starting to win those battles. And you look now at what they've already signed or as, you know, as far as verbal commitments, and they've got three four-star commitments for the 2022 cycle and at this point in the year when you're we're basically in march and they've got three four-star recruits that hasn't happened here that's i mean that's huge and i i mean arizona state always just felt like a program that could get into this and it kind of like to bring it back to north carolina again People were like, North Carolina can't do that. It's just a different era. It's North Carolina. They got Clemson and everything. And then just 
Mac Brown comes in, creates a CEO operation, and they have the best running game in football last year, and they're recruiting at a ridiculous level, a top 10 level. And I think Arizona State, based on its location, proximity to important places, and like you said, they're dipping into Florida and things like that. If you're a Florida kid, you're like, I, I, I'm not opposed to going to Tempe, like going from Florida to that area and just being that close to SoCal and all that. Like they were always one of those that could enter that fray with the right coach and the right staff and the right recruiting mindset. And I think Herm has that. And I think this is sustainable. Um, on the defense, is it fair to say the secondary is going to be the position of strength for them? Oh, absolutely. They are so loaded back there. Um, they basically, you know, they returned a couple of guys that many of us thought were not going to come back and chase Lucas and Jack Jones. Uh, Chase Lucas will be basically a fifth-year starter back there. Um, Jack Jones was at USC before he had some problems and then sat out a couple years and then came here, but he's basically a veteran starter. They've got another guy named Evan Fields that's a safety. He's basically been a starter. This will be his third year as a starter. So, And those are just those three guys. And then you get DeAndre Pierce, who is the son of Antonio Pierce, He's a transfer from Boise State, and he started last year, so he's played a lot of football. Do you think Antonio so had to do got... that? <laughs> <laughs> what, him transferring? <laughs> well, I think maybe a little. Maybe but, a little. But he had, had, he had been injury-plagued a couple years at Boise, and you know, it was probably good for him. But So, yeah, so they've got and, – and, and they've even got some younger players in Jordan Clark and Teeley, guys they Kiwan Markham that they brought in last year. And those guys are studs, too. And then of those recruits that I spoke about, the four-star recruits, two of those are secondary guys. So this looks looks like it's going to be a position that's going to be loaded for a while. Absolutely. Um, Jaden Daniels, I, I'm very fascinated about what he can still be. I'm very fascinated to see what a full year of Jaden Daniels. Um, this will be, what, year three of him in the program? Um Yes. How excited are Arizona State, Herm, Hill? How excited are they about what he can be? And do you think there is real Heisman conversation upside with Daniels? I think there could be, but a lot of that, you know, as well as I, that that's linked to the success of your team. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if as far as being a Heisman candidate, if you're not an on on the on a team like Oklahoma or Clemson or Alabama, then your team better be in the forefront so that you can get some of that mainstream publicity. Exactly. So I think he can be. Now, the one disappointing, if you look at his stats last year, they were very pedestrian. But you've got to look at the fact that that was a very small sample size. I think they only averaged 194 yards passing mm -hmm. per game. But that's a little bit deceiving because when they played Arizona, they were up 42-7 to seven at the half. You're not going to throw the ball a lot in the second no. half in an Oregon State game it was cold and it was rainy and they've got a great running game so you know they didn't need to throw the ball in that game um, in the USC game which was their first game with this new offense uh, Johnny Wilson who is a 6'7 wide receiver he was a true freshman last year dropped about four balls that were literally right between the numbers um, and you know as well as I that when you have new receivers, and they had a lot of young receivers last year, it takes a while to get on the same page with your quarterback. And when you've only got four games to do it, and when you've got one month between your first game and your second game, I don't think that anybody really knows 
how good Jane, Jade and Daniels is going to be just because they really kind of didn't get a good enough sample size last year. Yeah, um, and also that was the first year of Hill, right? Like he came over yes. last year, so yes. not a full spring and, practice. And they only had yeah. half a spring practice. They yep. only had seven spring practices. So throw in that you had very limited spring practice. You've got a lot of new personnel. You've got a new coordinator. Um, you had to stop and start starts due to COVID, and you had a month between your first game and your second game. It just didn't lend itself to really getting in that rhythm offensively that you need to get in. Yeah. So what are your what are your fall expectations, uh, Michelle? When you look at the schedule, you look at all the returning starters. You look at year three of Daniels. Um, what are what are your expectations, and what do you think Sun Devils fans should expect at the very least? What is the what is the I don't know that I guess the floor. What is the worst case scenario for them? And also, like, is it okay for Sun Devils fans to expect like ten and two, um, competing for a Pac-12 championship next year? Well, there's kind of a standing joke, and being a relative newbie here, I've been here two and a half years now, that ASU is actually a synonym for always something university. <laughs> like something's always going to go wrong. I don't know if you've heard that on I the, have not. the East Coast. But, uh, yeah, always something university. It just seems like they'll pull you in, they'll get you really close to something great, and then it all goes to pot you know and I, I that's kind of what happened with the basketball team that's another whole story but you know I think that now with Herm in his fourth year again with guys he recruited except for maybe Chase Lucas who's like on his fifth year or whatever um, this is his team this is his coaching staff there's only one holdover from the previ- previous coaching staff this has got to be the year uh, if they don't do it this year then I think Sun Devil fans are going to be really disappointed because it all has pointed towards this year. So I think anything less than a Southern Division, South Division championship is not going to be tolerated well here because, you know, you if you want to go toe-to-toe, you need to beat the big dogs, and that's USC. Whether it's a down program or, program or not, it's still USC. It's the USC brand, and that's the team you got to beat. So they're doing very well in the recruiting circles, but now the next step is go beat USC. So when you go out in Southern California and you can recruit there and you could say, hey, we beat them, you know. So I think that anything less than a South Division title is going to be disappointing this year. All right. What can we check out from you this week at the Arizona Republic, Michelle? Well, actually, I'm in a little bit of a slowdown now because I'm basically covering spring football practice. Um, I've got a very big piece that I'm working on that I, I'm not going to divulge, but okay. well, actually, I'll divulge. I'll divulge it a little bit since you're on the other coast. And anyway, <laughs> I'm working on a story that's very interesting on the mental health of student athletes and how ASU has addressed mental health issues mm-hmm. with athletes, given the the pressure put on them by COVID and not being able to see their families and just kind of having to stay in their own bubble and try and train. So that's been, it's a pretty comprehensive piece and it's been very interesting to talk to different people on that topic. So that's kind of a little major project that I've, I'm working on now, but I'll be at spring practice on, on uh, Friday, um, not so on Saturday, but yeah, basketball is over. So things are kind of winding down a little bit for me. All right. Well, keep up the great work. Stay safe out there. And thank you so much for the time, Michelle. Anytime. Hello, and welcome back to a Thursday evening edition of The Full Ride. 
on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am every single week, by fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I'm uh, just glad to be back. Get ready. I'm, uh, I feel like we got... I was like a tease last week. I was so in the groove with our list, and we just had to cut it halfway short. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Let's get back to it. Yeah, I thought a four-and-a-half-hour podcast was a little much <laughs> for last Thursday. Yeah, for sure. Also, March Madness is going on right now. I, I'm Don't get me started on, on the on the schedule change. I'm, I'm annoyed by it, but... Um, the late game tonight? No, the uh, Thursday was always the first game, like the first round. Like Thursday, Friday oh, were always those like first two rounds. Well, this they... is technically the first round. This is the first round. I've the heard that this is the, the first, first round. round. I've been told. That's such garbage. I hate how they call this the first round. I just, I hate these games in general. Like, I would be cool if they mm. chose, like, you know, eight 16 seeds and just had all those teams play in for the 16 or if they chose, like, it always seems to be 11 for one of the play-in games. Like, if, if maybe they just designated, like, the 11 seeds are going to be, like, that last eight at-large bids, you know? So if you win a conference, mm. you don't have to play in this play-in game, you know? It's kind of weird how how that works, how it's some it's two 16 seeds and then two 11 seeds. I feel like it's just, it's strange. I feel like just make it all uniform or just get rid of it 64 teams is a perfect bracket i'm i'm so annoyed how they how they did that and like now when you look up like like basketball reference or something it shows like oh they they lost in the second round last year and it's like no they lost in the first round like that's the first round this is the first game they played it, 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 it that annoys me every time it's uh you're not gonna believe this matt green but it has to do with money you say it ain't so. Yeah, they make more money. It's just more games, more TV slots. It's uh, just more money, man. And also, uh, I don't know if you watch any of the Wichita Drake ending. Um, I did. Delightful. Delightful, Matt. Yeah, that was a great game. I didn't even realize Texas Southern and Mount St. Mary's. What time was that game? I didn't even realize that had happened already. Is that like five, I want to okay. say? Four or five, something like that. But yeah, I, I just hate it too because I want to wait on these games to fill out my bracket. And like UCLA, Michigan State, it's going to be over like midnight tonight. Like, I don't know. I just grinds my gears, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not great, but you know, it is what it is. There's only so much you can uh, you can do, Matt. Um, hey, I'll be in Vegas be- this weekend though, man. Ooh, what are you going to Vegas for? It's a buddy of mine's bachelor party. So, how is this going to work with uh, the pandemic, Mac? Everyone's everyone's got masks. You know, we'll be socially distanced. Uh, we'll do that, all that. Is that how it's going to be? But um, yeah, I mean, I think masks are required, party. like everywhere. You Noted. Go. Socially distanced, fun time, bachelor for, parties in Vegas for sure. <laughs> but um, I'm just amped for the the sports books, man. For NCAA tournament weekend. Like, I'm I'm jacked about it, as Dan Quinn would say. How uh how nervous is uh the fiance about uh your weekend in Vegas and the uh, the gambling that you'll be doing? <laughs> no, she's just jealous, man, because mm. we've been cooped up for over a year now, and I've this is like now the second bachelor trip I've gone on in like the last month. So I, I guess I owe her like a, a trip somewhere now, you know. Interesting. So what uh what do you have planned? 
I don't even know, man. I, I, I I'm not the one. Uh, I'm not the one playing the itinerary. You know, it's it's Vegas. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I I understand. Um, we'll we'll see. I think we're gonna be going to Mexico in the next couple months. Me and the lady friend. She's she's wanting to go to Mexico. I've never been out of the country, Matt. It's very sad that I've never been out of the country. People assume that I've been to a lot of different places, but. I uh, I have not. Yeah, I, mean, I I went to the Bahamas one time, and you like for okay. like a cruise, and you don't need a passport, mm. so I feel like it doesn't really count. Like mm. I still I really haven't been out of the country either. Got to I got to do something. I got to make place. We got to get outside our comfort zone, man. Cruises are gonna be years away from from normalizing. Would be my guess. Right. Um, I'm not, especially like last year that one that was like quarantine for like weeks yes. like nah forget that i'm not even putting myself in a position for something like that to happen nope i am right there with you sir um well this is going to be a shorter show um uh like i, I am going to be completely honest here i am under the weather uh folks so i uh and powering through for the content capital c content but uh, true professional we're going to pick up where we left off last week with um our top 10 quarterbacks of the last 20 years we did 20 through 11 last week and you can go check those that those out uh, from last thursday's episode on this very feed don't forget folks to check out chase thomas podcast.com where you can get access to all my previous episodes and all my writing and also if you like listening to matt and i go subscribe on apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating interview if you leave us a review and shout out the pod we will read it on this show i feel like Um, we should uh we should update the listeners on the on the first on the first 10 on our 11 through 20 okay go through so uh, i got 20 kellen moore 19 tua 18 Jameis winston 17 sam bradford 16 justin fields 15 rg3 14, Andrew Luck, 13, Mac Jones, 12, Colt McCoy, and 11, Lamar Jackson. And then you have at number 20, Chase Daniel, number 19, Mac Jones, number 18, Andrew Luck, number 17, Tua, number 16, Colt McCoy, number 15, Case Keenum, and number 14, Johnny Manziel, number 13, Sam Bradford, number 12, Kellen Moore, and number 11, Lamar Jackson. So now we got our top 10. Okay. Here we go. Your number 10, Matt Green, was who? My number 10 is Kyler Murray. Mm. And at number 10, who is your number 10? So I think we talked about this before we wrapped up last week because I don't even have Kyler Murray in my top 20. What? Um, yeah, he's not a top 20. You don't 20 have him in the top 20. So you're taking Matt, Case would... Keenum. So you got you to gotta win a college football game tomorrow. You're taking Case Keenum over Kyler Murray? That's what you're telling me? College Case Keenum, absolutely, and also <laughs> Pro Case Keenum. Pro Case Keenum was one game away from the Super Bowl just a few years ago. He's a game was he the reason they were one game away from the Super Bowl? Have the Vikings come close since Matt Green? <laughs> As he's got him closer than Kirk Cousins. That's fair. He has Case Keenum's a gamer, and uh, we don't need to rehash just how good of a college career this man had because you were just just throwing all kinds of shade he was like there for 18 years like yeah he put up some numbers but i won't i won't allow this <laughs> I, I won't i won't kyler I won't murray let's get back to kyler murray though he only had one year starting this man yes. 42 touchdowns seven picks 
Threw for over 4,000 yards, almost 70% completion percentage, and he also ran for 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. This guy was, he wasn't Joe Burrow, Cam Newton, one and done. Well, I guess Joe Burrow had two years, but he wasn't that level. But, I mean, Kyler Murray's one year at Oklahoma, he was just, he was insane. It's, it's kind of hard to judge the guys that only give you, like, one year of, of sample size, but, uh, but Kyler Murray was just electric and just his just the straight line speed coming from a guy who he, he played like a pocket passer honestly at oklahoma so just what he what he was able to do running like not even needing to run to be successful like that's why i had to put him top 10 i have a question for you matt go for it get do you remember one moment from kyler's college career i do i remember that uh that that run against texas you okay. remember that it was like that 50 yard run like who late won that in the game? game did texas but that was like to make texas it close right game. texas did win that game but they came back mm-hmm. they beat him in the big 12 championship um i mean that's a valid mm-hmm. point i guess but oklahoma i mean he was putting up stupid numbers so he was and we know how good so he is, is. i mean not, obviously it's just Matt college Green. not judging the nfl but it's like you can you could see the talent of of uh kyler murray for sure i can't I'm not saying he's not extremely talented. I'm not saying I like, I don't, I dislike Kyler Murray. It's just, I was thinking about him and Baker and just, it felt like Baker had such a bigger, better, more memorable time in Oklahoma than Kyler did. Kyler was just a breeze. And it kind of reminded me of Jalen too, that those two years back to back, it just, I don't know. There was just something different about Baker at Oklahoma than it, than it was Jalen and, uh, kyler i don't i don't know i can't put my finger on it i, I really don't know is it more memorable because he was uh, getting off the field trouble and, and talking shit to kansas and like stuff like that flags yeah he was he obviously played the most important memorable oklahoma game in a decade against georgia like that's maybe one of the best college football games we'll ever see um yeah and he balled out know, in that just, game and yeah just as far as they played ohio state while he was there they played tennessee while he was there there, there's like there's big time moments I do remember from Baker's career, and it's like yeah, even Kansas is that that's a moment you remember just because of the shit talking with the little kids and stuff and the crotch grabbing. Well, we'll get to Baker because I think Baker has a sneaky all time great college quarterback resume. Like I think Baker, you can make the case as the best four year resume of any college quarterback ever. I think you could. Uh, he's in the conversation at the very least. Um, and Kyler just didn't start enough for me. I think that's part of it. The one year, it's always tough with the one year. If you're going to be there for one year, you better be Cam. You better be somebody like that where you just have such a crazy one year just smoke show that uh, we can't forget it. That's um, fair. I don't know. Uh, my number ten, Matt, was RG three. We talked about him last week and uh, you had him at 15 i just had to have him in the top 10 rg3 is a top 10 quarterback of the last 20 years in college football he was must see television we talked about his big runs we talked about how different his style was during that time period how different baylor was at that time um i don't know i'm gonna use your uh, argument against you though okay what were what was rg3's moments in college on the cover of NCAA football. <laughs> That's big time for your legacy, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think. Let me think. He, I, th- I think they won 10 games. And Baylor winning 10 games, yeah, he won 10 games his senior year. 
I don't... Okay, here's a good stat for you. This is the top 10 argument for RG3 and a program changer, RG3. Baylor hadn't had a winning season in the 13 years before Robert Griffin arrived. That's fair. That's... Because uh, it wasn't... He wasn't the guy when they uh, when they split the Big 12 with TCU. That was... Uh, oh, man. Why am I blanking on that other quarterback? You know who I'm talking about. Well, at Baylor or TCU? At Baylor. It was when Boykin, when Trayvon Boykin was at TCU. And basically, oh. and it was Big 12. They, they played themselves because everyone thought TCU was better than Baylor that year. But Baylor beat TCU head to head. So it was like, just make Baylor the Big 12 champion. And you might could get in. But they tried to give them both the Big 10 championship or Big 12 champion. And then Ohio State snuck in the playoff. And was then that Bryce Petty? Ended up went, Bryce Petty. There you go. That's who I couldn't think of. Okay. Yeah, a little bit different than uh, Robert Griffin. We'll step down, but yeah, uh, RG3 definitely put the program on the map. So he has to be in the top 10 for me. Um, Number nine, Matt Green, who do you have? Number nine, I got uh, Marcus Mariota. Do we agree on this one? Let me see. I had Marcus Mariota at number nine, too. And we should also clarify, we did not show each other our list as we were making them. So this is good. I, I like that we stumbled into the same ranking here. I wanted to move him up higher because I think you could make the case that he could be up a couple spots and he kind of had an underrated college career, but um, he was, he was so dang good. And I think part of what I remember about Mariota is his defenses weren't good and they still won a lot of games. This was before Oregon had really figured out the defensive side of the ball and um he he was just crazy and um his 2014 season with 57 combined touchdowns was just whew, he he was very good marcus Mariota was unbelievable he was worthy of winning a national title just ran into someone better and him and Jameis were just one a and one b it was just like you couldn't go wrong with either and it's kind of crazy where both of their nfl careers ended up but uh we remember that chase of just being like oh, these two are clearly going to be the first two picks in the draft, and whoever gets in the first two have found their cornerstone for 15 years. I will say that Oregon was 13th in the country in scoring defense uh, his his sophomore year, and then they were 30th, 31st yeah. the year that they went to the national championship. So I think it kind of tells you how good Mariota uh, really was. But um, the efficiency is just what stood out to me. It was just like when you watched him play – he never seemed like he was like running hard. He just always seemed everything he did was just so like cool and just 42 touchdowns, four picks as a junior, 31 touchdowns, four picks as a sophomore, 32 touchdowns, six picks as a freshman, like 105 touchdowns and 14 interceptions over a three year career. And also what he did on the ground, just super consistent. Yeah, it was, it was, he was a tough guy to, uh, you know, pinpoint exactly where to rank him. Uh, but yeah, I think he's a deserving Heisman Trophy winner, and um, yeah, definitely a top ten quarterback of the last twenty years. Number eight on your list, Matt. Number eight, we got another uh, another sa- same here. Uh, Baker Mayfield. I really wanted to put Baker higher. Like I said, we I just uh, spent a lot of time talking about Baker, but Baker really did have an all-time like he was a walk-on at texas tech and then for his career to go the way it did um at oklahoma and just how he had to fight and had to 
um, evolve and just being an undersized guy and not the most physically imposing guy. And he was completing 70% of his passes. He threw for 14,000 passing yards in his college career. Pretty remarkable. Um, he, <laughs> so one of the things about Oklahoma too, now we're just, we're kind of spoiled by Oklahoma. And I think Oklahoma fans are spoiled in this way. We're like, they are now at the point of the big 12 where it's kind of like Ohio state where any year they don't win the big 12 is just at this point going to be mind blowing because they're just a premier program and they're just so much further along than everyone else in their conference. Um, but that wasn't the case before Baker. The people forget the end of the Bob Stoops era and like kind of where Oklahoma was going. Um, he he was huge for Oklahoma getting back to being Oklahoma. Like before Baker, they hadn't won an outright conference title since 2010. Um, and then he went three in a row, <laughs> three top five finishes, two college football playoffs, um, won a Heisman should have been in the national title game and then became the number one overall pick. Like Kyler obviously followed suit the following year, but it was just different. Like Kyler built off what Baker built. And I I just think Baker deserves a lot more credit for reviving Oklahoma than, than he gets. And that's a valid point. That's something I feel like I kind of gloss over a couple, a couple five lost seasons in there, a couple three lost seasons. Yeah. Not winning the big 12. It, uh, it's definitely not, not what Oklahoma is all about, but, um, it's interesting how, like, I don't know. I just kind of, I disregard Sam Bradford's numbers. Like, oh, you know, he's just a system quarterback. Like, same with Jalen Hurts. Like, uh, you know, whoever they plug in puts up numbers. And Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield somehow, they're they're a level above that. Even though Jalen Hurts had very similar production to what Kyler Murray and even Baker Mayfield did. Much, much more production running the ball. But Baker Mayfield, I don't know. There's something about his college career. Like you said, he just, he's just one of those guys that like, he, he kind of had a different swagger about him. He kind of, he, like you said, he brought Oklahoma back to just consistently winning the big 12, like annually winning the big 12 essentially. And that that's where they belong. And, and yeah, he was just super efficient. And I think he, with, with what he's become in the NFL, you kind of real, you kind of forget about you know, how many plays he made with his legs when he was in college. So, uh, yeah, I think Baker Mayfield is a, he's a big time college player. And yeah, more than anything, just great story. Like, like you said, walk on starting at Texas tech and ended up as a Heisman trophy winner, number one overall draft pick. Yeah. All praises to Baker Mayfield. Number seven on your list, Matt Green. Number seven. I gotta go with, uh, Vince Young. National Yikes. champion. Wrong. Where did you have Vince Young? Four. Oh, okay. So, Vince, so where you're high on Vince Young? I <laughs> Vince Young. I just I don't think it's been so long, but Vince Young. I, I had to think about this because Vince, for me, in my top four, and this is how I ultimately got to my top four. If I had to pick four quarterbacks, and Deshaun just misses this, where like four guys any particular game at their height of their powers to win a national championship and win one game let's whoever it is the four that i could not just escape was vince young cam newton tim tebow and joe burrow 
like those four i just could not oh man you're giving away your top four already i am giving away my top four. <laughs> i think there's no secret that uh, those four i don't know i think people know that uh, at least three of those were shoe-ins for the top four because i i will not hear anyone uh who does not have what well, at least two of those because i already am looking at your list and one of the like we're very close to your list just being crumpled up and thrown out the <laughs> because who i think you have next is just patently absurd biased and we won't allow it we'll see but but let's let's say vince young before first. we get to that vince young had the most memorable national championship game of all time that that is a thing that we will always have the usc team versus that texas team i think we forget that usc was more loaded like across the board with talent and vince was just like the one-man show where his i mean that texas team did they had a a lot of talent too for sure i mean i know you're a big limus swede guy but like limus was jamal charles on that team yeah fine not reggie bush and not uh uh mike williams and not uh was carrie colbert on that team, Steve Ooh, Smith. Oh, Kerry Colbert. Oh, who's the tight end they had? That was like a playmaker. Oh mm. man, I forget. But Lindale White. Yeah, Lindale White yeah. and Reggie Bush, and then like Ray Malalugo. He was on that team. Yeah, so I mean they right. were just stacked like across the board. Like that whole that UST team should not have lost. Just the amount of talent and firepower that they have, and Vince Young just pulling it off and they were just so likable and that texas team i i was obsessed with them i will also say there was a little bit of bias with me it was like i was so obsessed with texas during this time period of my life because i just love watching vince young so much like vince was just so good and so different and just so much fun and i think that texas team is one of the most memorable teams um of my lifetime and he also wasn't perfect like he threw 28 picks and only completed 60 percent of his passes and a lot of the quarterbacks that we're talking about in this list is featured with quarterbacks who were extremely efficient didn't throw a lot of picks and just were dominant he did a lot of dumb stuff with the ball but he also um i don't know i like, was gonna it, say yeah he's 100 percent on here because of that national championship versus usc like a hundred percent. I mean, it was basically his whole junior year. He kind of he balled out that year. It's tough to rank Vince Young because kind of how the game has changed. Like twenty six touchdowns and ten picks. Like he's basically he's runner up for the Heisman Trophy, right? Things yep. are a little bit different now. Obviously, he had sick rushing numbers, like a thousand yards rushing basically every year he was there. Double digit rushing touchdowns. But right. yeah, his freshman and sophomore year, he was not a good passer at all. So it's like that kind of that hurts his legacy when you're talking about, you know, if he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of this generation, essentially. So that's what would kind of hurt him because it kind of I feel like we remember moments the way we do just as people. And so I feel like we kind of remember Vince Young being better than he actually was just because of that Rose Bowl versus USC. But he was so amazing and that Rose Bowl gets USC you can't ignore it so you got to put him up there and so that's why I end up having him at seven but I'm not gonna lie that USC team is like my most hated team of all time like oh wow I can't stand the way they talked about do you remember them talking about that team they're going for their third straight national championship I don't know how many times people said they're going for their third straight national championship it's like no, they're not. They had one BCS title in '98. We 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 were like we decided as collectively as a college football group 
we're not counting all those polls anymore. There's way too many polls. We're doing the BCS. This is the champion. And LSU won the championship in 2003. USC won in 2004. And then this was the 2005 national championship. They weren't going for three straight. That oh, that just annoyed me so much. They just acted like Man, they won the national championship. This really no, grinded your gears at like 15 years it old. It was you were terrible. It was terrible because because uh, I watched LSU and Oklahoma play in, in the in the Sugar Bowl to win the national championship. Like that was the game. But USC you weren't there. Sorry. Like you guys had a great season, but you didn't win the national championship that year. Yikes um i like it i had to go off on them yeah a little spicy i guess that now am i gonna lose credibility for leaving leaving matt leinard out of my top out of my top 20 now anyone who has matt leinard in their top 20 is out of their absolute mind yeah without a doubt that's why we started this whole uh thing was that twitter post that had matt leinard as one of the four pictures of the quarterbacks the last 20 years it's that is a travesty that is just um for lack of a better word matt green that is absolute bullshit there is no <laughs> no path to matt liner being a top four quarterback in the last 20 years it's just not um it's not it's not uh, rested in reality that's what i would say um, and then your number seven my number seven was Jameis winston okay and we talked about him last week and where we were <sighs> you had Jameis way lower than i did i did um, i had him at uh, 18 I have the same case for Jameis that I did for Vince, I think, where it's just like the one year, the perfect season. I remember that season more than anything else. Um, It propelled them to the top echelon of the NFL draft. Um, They were just extremely dominant for at least one year, like extremely dominant and perfect. And I think uh, they did it a lot of it by themselves. And I, uh, that's kind of where I'm at with those two. Fair enough. Number six on your list. Let's go. Before let's go I with throw your my laptop six. out the. Let's go to your I'm number throw six my laptop first. Out the building. Oh, you want me to do mine yeah. first? Um, Trevor Lawrence. I got him at five. I. It's kind of crazy that we don't have him in our top four, considering he's like the greatest college quarterback prospect since Luck, and we don't have him or Luck in our top five. It's kind <laughs> of interesting, right? Like the two most polished nfl like non-busty types are the two that we don't actually even have in our top five isn't that interesting it was i feel like trevor lawrence was a difficult person to rank too Mm because yeah it's like you know how good he is like you see the arm you see the the running ability but it's like i don't know it's 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 clemson since he's been there it's it's kind of like they're just so much better than the machine yeah exactly they're so much better than everyone they play it kind of prevented him from kind of having those those great moments like other than obviously winning the national championship and just like blowing out alabama like after that his freshman year it was like well if he doesn't win two more national championships is like his career is disappointing like that's like how i feel like people talked about trevor lawrence and so since he didn't win two more national championships people are kind of like oh yeah he was he had a good career but it's like I mean, you look at what this guy did over three years, and I mean, essentially playing flawless quarterback play. You know, it's just, and I think his performance against Ohio State in the uh, in the semifinal as a sophomore, where you you're like, oh my god, this guy is as athletic as Justin Fields, as any other running quarterback we've seen. It was kind of like we weren't ready for that. Like we knew he was an athlete, but we didn't know that he could just be breaking sixty yard touchdown runs. You know, and 
he uh he yeah we like you said he's just he's like the perfect quarterback prospect you know he's he didn't have the best numbers like 65 percent completion percentage there's some guys on this list that that had better over their career but i feel like we almost we're just judging him at such a like a ridiculous like look watching him through such a ridiculous filter like kind of through a microscope and so his career almost seems underwhelming but it was it was incredible like you know what i mean it's 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 such an interesting uh career he had yeah for sure um I don't know. I, I, I just feel weird about having him at six, and I just am still stewing over it because he was just so dominant and so good. And Clemson just it. The only way they lost was by playing Alabama or Ohio State with a loaded team. It's just he was. Well, he, he was never so lost good. to Alabama, right? Yes. Wait, he never did. No, he never because he played him as a freshman, and I guess he did. And as a sophomore, he lost to LSU. And mm. as a junior, he lost to Ohio State. So, I mean, what did they, is that it? Did they lose three games? And <laughs> he lost to Pitt, didn't he? No, no, that wasn't. Or Syracuse? Did he lose to Pitt or Syracuse? No, I think Syracuse was definitely Kelly Bryant. Pitt was Deshaun Watson. Okay. That was before he was there. So Clemson went undefeated so his freshman year. did he not have year. a slip-up? He should have lost to North Carolina. Yeah, that, that they had that game that they escaped. And, and then this year he wasn't playing versus Notre Dame. So, I mean, you don't really put that mm-hmm. on Trevor Lawrence. But, yeah, it's they just won games when he was in. Yeah. You're number six, which is just I, – <laughs> I I don't even know what to do with this. I, I just – I there's being a Georgia fan, and then there's this level of being a Georgia fan that I just – I can't fathom that. At number six, I have Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow – Make the case. Tim Tebow was a great all-time college player, and he's probably the most difficult person to rank on this entire list because his college achievements, like if that's the if that's the the list we're making, the most decorated college player, like yeah, he's number one. But I feel like he gets thrown in like he's a, a two-time national champion. People love to like throw that in there as a quarterback, two-time national champion. We all know what you're doing when you throw that in there. Like, it sounds like he led a team to two national championships. Well, hold on. He was a part of two national championships. They do not win the first one without him and as a red zone threat. He played a legitimate role, for sure. He was a cheat code. He is the reason they won that national title. It wasn't fair with him. I wouldn't say he's the reason. That defense was rowdy. Well, no, what I'm saying is, like, they still don't get through everything with just Chris Leak. It just doesn't happen. No, you're right. Chris Leak was... Chris Leak's probably one of the more overrated quarterbacks of the last 20 years, honestly, just because he's got that national championship on his uh, resume. But Tim Tebow, he was amazing. Like 50, what was it, 55 total touchdowns his, uh, his sophomore year. Like super efficient, 88 touchdowns, 16 picks over his career. But like you you saw with your eye like his skill set was amazing like there just there couldn't have been a more perfectly just designed system for Tim Tebow like i feel like people just forget about how many weapons and just how loaded that team actually was like Percy Harvin and Jeff Demps and Lewis Murphy and Aaron Hernandez and Riley Cooper it's like 
that team was just Chris Rainey, just all that that little play they ran. That's everywhere now. Honestly, they like started that the little option with Harvin on the outside, and then turned into a little shovel pass to Aaron Hernandez in the middle. And Aaron Hernandez would just break people off because he's like the most athletic, like elusive tight end we've ever seen. Like it was just insane how loaded that team was. Not to mention how loaded their defense was and the offensive line. So I just felt like Tim Tebow was just in this perfectly designed system and he was like the 10th best player on that team like obviously he's the one that gets all the glory he's the quarterback but it just we we know how limited he was as a passer like his passing ability not to mention all those little shovel passes to aaron hernandez that he broke 40 yards for a touchdown were on his passing stats so it was like oh great 40 yard touchdown for tim tebow and it was like he threw it two yards you know Florida just had the most ridiculous playmakers. In my humble opinion, Percy Harvin is the most underrated player in college football history. Like, Are you just doing this because of uh, the Cam Newton story about Percy Harvin? No, I have always said this. I feel like Percy Harvin has never gotten enough love. I forget. What was the story about him? That uh, Cam was at Florida at the time, and I think he was on I Am Athlete when he was talking about this, but... He was talking about the fact that he, Percy's the only person that uh, only player he knew of where they like they didn't have a play for him or they didn't have they were just like just put him in like Urban was just like yeah we have to just throw him onto the field just give him the ball like that was the thing dude like, he was like, we have to make sure that he gets the ball he was a hundred percent the reason that team won two national championships like on. On both teams. Like, he was just the most ridiculous, just Swiss Army knife, like, running back, receiver, return man. Just the way that man would just cut on a dime and just make good SEC defensive players look terrible. And just, I feel like he was taking everything to the house. I feel like Percy Harvin never got enough love for just how essential he was to the to the success of Florida. And so, part of me is just... Obviously, I'm a Georgia fan, but I know how good Tim Tebow was. So it's like when you're judging this list, it's like when I'm judging Tim Tebow, I in his college performance, I'm putting him in this offense he was in. So you have to evaluate him that way because he's obviously not as good as some of these people because like we saw what he did in the NFL, you know, but we're just judging him for college and he was in a perfect system. So you have to put him up there, but I just can't put him up there with certain guys that like change the just changed the game, like changed the the direction of programs. Like Tim Tebow was was great, but he was just he was so flawed, so obviously flawed. But Florida was just designed to hide his flaws. Like I just I uh, I I can't put him any higher than six. Well, you're wrong because um, he uh, he did have the best college career of all time. He started off as a backup as a package guy. Um, won the national title like he was just running the ball and just as a swiss army knife as a change of pace guy for chris leak he was okay with his role there then he just casually throw he like has a combined four thousand rushing and passing yards wins the heisman year two his first full year as a starter 2008 we all remember the speech after losing to bama they go 13 and one after losing to um, uh old miss yeah or old miss yeah 2009 he puts another 13-1 and one record. He uh, almost goes for 4,000 passing and rushing yards again. 
and then uh, finishes in the top five in the Heisman for three straight years. Like that dude just, I, I just, I don't know who has a better resume than Tim Tebow over a four year stretch. There's just no one. See, and that's fair. And if you're judging a resume, is that what you're building your list on? Is just the resume? I I, think, I acknowledge the I resume is close, up there. My whole thing is like if it's close, like with Cam, if Cam had done it for three years, if uh, Jameis had done it for three years, if um, this is why I kind of wanted to put Baker higher on my list. Um, if Joe Burrow had done what he did for at least one more year, um, then I probably would have been um, better about it. But then I'm like, Trevor Lawrence kind of did the same kind of stuff that Cam did or that Tebow did. And we, I just don't look at them the same. It's kind of interesting how that works. But well, uh, I think part of it too is just playing in the ACC. I really do think that's part I, of I, it. That's it's definitely just, part of it because when you're an SEC and like Tim Tebow, like for how dominant Florida was at that time, obviously Bama beat him his senior year, but it was like, yeah, exactly. You had to play Bama in the SEC championship to play the number one team in the country in your conference championship two years in a row. And just you got four or five just big time top 10 top 15 matchups like that 2008 georgia teams talked about like their garbage you know it's like mm-hmm. that team went like 10 and 3 it's like that's just that's a, a a number 10 team on your schedule that you you dominated like they just they murdered georgia that year i remember watching that um that game supposedly the story was uh my buddy uh that was a florida fan said like supposedly brandon spikes was walking around gainesville florida like all week because no sean went for 188 on florida the year before and he's walking around gainesville all week like first time i see no sean i'm like murdering this man like he was telling everybody the entire week literally first play of the game no sean gets it right at the middle brandon spikes just destroys him lays on top of him for like 10 seconds just i'm sure just yelling obscenities at him and me and my brother just looked at each other like yeah, we're about to get smashed in this game. It's not even going to be close. Because at that time, too, I think Georgia was, like, number five and Florida was, like, number three. So you're like, hey, we can beat them, you know? Like, you're, you're convincing yourself. We're right there. Like, we win this game. We're, we're going to win the SEC East. And I don't even know what the score was that year, like 49-10 or something like that. Like, So I have selective memory about uh, certain score lines. But, yeah, they, they just murdered Georgia in 2008 and when they – bust out those black helmets and black pants in 2009 got murdered again it was terrible your number five matt green my number five is trevor lawrence so you're number five deshaun watson oh see i got deshaun watson at number four so we're right in the same ballpark. Yeah, he was hard. I actually, I just think I was thinking about him and trevor lawrence it's interesting that i have him above lawrence i think you just have to hard. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think it's because, like we said, that the program changer, like Deshaun yeah. Watson, put them on that level. Like you look at the numbers and like Trevor Lawrence, the Clemsoning stuff ended with Deshaun. Yeah, and I think we forget, like as a sophomore, like this guy ran for eleven hundred yards, twelve touchdowns. Like we knew how good of a pocket passer he was, and he still put up ridiculous rushing numbers. And he threw a lot of picks. That was the one the one knock I'll have on, on Watson. Like 13 picks as a sophomore and then 17 picks as a senior or as a junior. That's kind of a lot for someone. That's probably honestly the reason he didn't win the Heisman. But um, he, he was just, I feel like he took Clemson from that being very good to being a, a powerhouse. And I'll be honest with you. I was one of the few 
people out there, because everyone roots against Alabama, you know, all the time, because it's like, you know, fuck Alabama. <laughs> they win all the championships. Like, no one likes that. And so I knew every, all these people are rooting for Clemson to win, to beat Alabama. And I, I was like the one person like, no, I want Alabama to win this game. I don't want Clemson turning into a powerhouse. Like, that's, that was my logic. I don't want another powerhouse surrounding the state of Georgia, like, that we got to compete against. And sure enough, Deshaun Watson led him to a championship. And now Clemson is as elite as elite gets. Absolutely. Um, your, where are we at? Number four. So my number four was Deshaun Watson. My number four was Vince Young. Um, number three. This is, I I just, I had Johnny Manziel at number 14 on my list. You have him at number three, Matt Green. The disrespect for Johnny Manziel, man. <laughs> this guy was just, do you not remember? You want to talk Heisman moments. Just remember, memorable career. This guy was insane. Like, Johnny football, man. Like, people just hated him because of all the off the field, the the rich lifestyle he was living as a as a sophomore in college and they just didn't want to give him the Heisman. Like this I will I will defend to the day I die that Johnny Manziel should have been a two-time Heisman winner. He was better than Jameis Winston that year. I they just didn't want to give it to him. Like he was honestly he was arguably better as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. Like he, his rushing numbers as a freshman were significantly better, but Johnny Manziel, man, he was just he was one of a kind. And was he a program changer? Was Johnny Manziel a program changer? I mean, his coach got fired after he left. His so coach did, and they went like eight and five, like four years in a row after he left. But like because he came in right when they joined the SEC, I feel like he he immediately like legitimized Texas A and M. And like you look at Texas A and M now, and everyone talks about like you know how much money they have and the resources they have, and they're just like. A sleeping giant essentially obviously they're not sleeping they had a great season this past year but they're knocking on the door of being you know in that national title contention and i feel like if johnny manziel if they don't come into the sec the way they did beat alabama first year like i don't know i don't know that we're, we're we feel the same way about texas a&m right now that's fair that's fair um Number three on my list, Cam Newton. You have him at number one, New- which I will allow. Numero will allow. uno. Um, we got the. We only have one more after this that uh, is right that we have not hit on yet, and I think people are going to know. Who so, it is. so why is Cam Newton only at three and not not one or two? So Cam, I go back and forth with him and Burrow. I think you could sell me on either. I, I just think Tebow is the class. He's in his own class. I really do believe Tebow is in his own class. Um, Cam and Burrow had the same kind of season to me, right? Where yep. <laughs> they caught lightning in a bottle. They slayed Alabama. They had their memorable moments where Cam and Burrow, sometimes they were down. Some, they just looked like they had figured out how to score 40 points at will in a college football game. Like there was just something about those two that they just figured out how to be an elite college quarterback and how to win any game, no matter how many points they were down. Um, they were unstoppable. And I think there was a coolness factor about both of them where they knew they were unstoppable. They knew they were going to win the Heisman. They knew they were going to win the national title. There was 
so much about these two seasons that mirrored one another. Um, two programs that were never going to be Bama's and Georgia's, where it's just going to be like 11 and ones every year. Um, I mean, LSU is way closer to that than Auburn was, though. LSU, they, they, they produce an elite talent year after year. But, I mean, the titles speak for themselves. Like, Auburn's been to two national title games in like 10 years. What has LSU been to? Is it two and since I think 2011? Two, right? Yeah, 2011 and 2019. So I think they're closer than people might think. Those um, those Auburn ones were just so fluky, though. It's like LSU is like LSU a legit. LSU is very fluky. LSU is like a legit NFL powerhouse. Like Auburn, I feel like when you just look at the first round picks they have, and like just consistently like the NFL players, like LSU is the only other team. Like LSU and like Ohio State and Alabama are the only are getting like a level of talent that like no one else is getting. I think LSU has like been at that level. That's why I don't really think Les Miles was ever that good of a coach. I kind of think Nick Saban like built it, and then there's just kind of like a culture in Louisiana that just everyone stays. Like the people stay home. Like I don't know what it is, and something in the water down there. Like they just produce some elite football players down there. But Auburn. Can I tell you why I gave Joe Burrow the edge though? Ultimately, what's that? The sixty touchdowns. It was that was stupid for sure. I just can't get over that. I, I don't care how much football has changed. Sixty touchdowns accumulated by a quarterback is just I <laughs> it's still just seeing that number blows my mind. It still just messes with me, man. Like that is insanity that he had sixty total touchdowns. No, that's stupid for sure. But my thing is they also had what, ten guys drafted in the first top hundred picks or something that year, like mm-hmm. setting a record. Like, Joe Burrow was insane, and I have him at two on my list. But Cam Newton, like, this team wasn't even good as far as I'm concerned. Like, they were 53rd in the country in points allowed. Like, they weren't – they didn't have a good defense. Like, they had – What was LSU last year, though? Um, Their defense was not good at all either. Let me pull that up. That was one – I don't think – I think you're going to be surprised at LSU's number there. That's fair. They were 32nd in uh, points allowed. But also down the stretch, they seemed to kind of – they seemed to get better down the stretch. But I feel like Auburn just – they weren't good the year before Cam Newton. They weren't good the year after Cam Newton. Granted, LSU wasn't good the year after Joe Burrow. And the similarities are crazy because I don't think either coach is good. Like Gene Chizik and Ed Orgeron, they just kind of lucked into this – just generational talent at quarterback but that's Mm. what that's what gives me that's why i give the nod to cam newton was i feel like he just propelled like a mediocre team when i say mediocre auburn's mediocre is like eight and four you know they're not like terrible but that they're just like an average team and cam newton was just so incredible that they were the best team in the country and they it wasn't even like the 2013 season like that was like a fluky season like the only thing that was fluky about 2010 for Auburn is they just lucked out into like the greatest Juco transfer prospect of all time. But there was nothing lucky about Cam Newton. Like he just, he straight balled out just on everybody. But this is, this is my biggest argument with Cam Newton. So you're a big college basketball fan too, correct? Mm-hmm. So who's the better college basketball player? Kevin Durant or Tyler Hansborough? Kevin Durant see and I feel like that's that's my logic like 
Kevin Durant doesn't make these like all-time college lists because he played for one year, but I've never seen anyone in college that was as good as Kevin Durant, honestly. Like the dude just scored at will. But Tyler Hansborough has the national championship and he has the four-year career and like the probably like a three-time All-American. He might, he might have been a four-time All-American. And so it's like he has the career. He's the Tim Tebow of college basketball, 100%. Okay, well, no, no, no. Let's stop right there. Oh, Tim dude, Tebow are you kidding me? Hedra, those are not. Tyler Hansborough was great in college. He was fine. Oh, was man, not... I think you're. I think you're. Dude, I'm so proud of that analogy. I have to argue with you here. Like, I will. They, not they're like it. the exact same person. Not not the same person, obviously. Yikes. But the way they play, like the way you kind of just knew their games weren't going to translate that well to the next level, but. I mean, Tyler Hansborough was dominant in his four years at North Carolina, and they were winning national championships, going to Final Four. I think they they win two national championships while he's there, just one. I don't know. I think just one. I could be wrong. But he was like all American, everything. I feel like they're like the same guy. And Cam Newton is like the one year wonder, but you just saw with your eyes just how much better he was than than Tim Tebow. And I just, I feel like it's crazy that to think that he was actually on the same roster playing behind Tim Tebow. Cause man, like I, I thought I hated Florida now. Like if I would have had to sit through four years of Tebow and then like two more years of Cam Newton, I don't know what I would have done. Man, that would have just been dominance like we've never seen. Your number one was Cam. My number two was Joe Burrow. Your number two was Joe Burrow. My number one was Tim Tebow. I think we hit everybody, man. I think we did. This was a this was a good exercise. This was. It was a nice trip down memory lane. I, I think you're so. totally wrong, so. but you know, uh, I'll uh, I'll respectfully disagree. I'm just gonna be annoyed about you putting Tim Tebow at number six for the rest of my life. I think. Um, I just couldn't put him ahead of. Is he better than Trevor Lawrence? Like, I couldn't sleep with myself if I say Tim Tebow is better than Trevor Lawrence. Or Deshaun Yikes. Watson, or Johnny okay. Football, but uh, but yeah, like you said, Joe Burrow. I never really said anything about Joe Burrow because you pretty much hit everything. He was just sixty touchdowns, just absurd. I think they just I think they just scored another touchdown on Oklahoma in in the yeah. Peach Bowl. Like if that's that if they wanted to score a hundred in that game, that they honestly could have. Game. Yeah, he threw seven touchdowns in like the first half, right? Yes. I was looking at them earlier today, actually, because um, I was talking with my brother. I don't know how it came up, like. Terrace Marshall had 12 touchdowns on that team. He was their third receiver. Like, that team was just insane. Like, that's that's the only thing that puts Cam Newton ahead of Joe Burrow is just that team was just loaded. Yeah. All right, Matt Green. Well, that's all I've got. Um, should we reveal next week? So we'll hit news again next week. We'll have another theme. Uh, we'll talk about that over text this week. Um, but we're going to do a throwback Thursday um, because we record these on Thursdays. And while there's no games to watch, we can go back and because uh, there's just everything's now uploaded to the Internet now. So we can go back and watch some old games that um, were interesting to us. You know what? Because you're a big Manziel guy, what if you went back and watched A&M Bama? Oh, A&M Bama 2012 or 2013. Yes. 2012 was the one that um, that they won. Yes, but 2013 is the one he was just like he went full Johnny Football. He was that that fadeaway throw he had like 
that you were running around making plays. That stadium was so loud. But I think uh, I think Alabama went, ended up winning that one kind of easily. So which one would you rather watch, 2012 or 2013? Yeah, we'll go 2012. Okay. Let's do 2012. I'll have some notes. You can have some notes about things, about this game, the lead up, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think this will be fun. Um, I'm excited, man. To watch. Check out uh, Ryan Swope. Was that was that mm-hmm. that guy's name? I, I believe. A little AJ yeah. McCarron action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Miles Garrett, maybe. Is Miles Garrett on this team? Uh I don't know if I don't know if he, Miles Garrett was probably there. Um, I'd have to look at that. Or is that after Von Miller? Maybe it was. I don't know. Von, Von Miller. Miller I'm not sure Von Miller I played Von Miller in the was SEC. before this. I think. Yeah, I think, I think he may have been when they were still in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Um. All right. For that guy down there in Decula, Georgia, at Green for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got. Matt, we'll be back next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.